0: In partnership with 2SER, the Walkley Talks podcast presents the latest episode of Fourth Estate, a weekly program about the media featuring Australia's leading journalists. Broadcast live each Monday at 6.30pm on 2SER
1: 107.3. Hello and welcome to Fourth Estate, the live media and current affairs panel show for the week commencing the 11th of May 2015. I'm Lucy Robson, and today's show will be a special episode all about disability and media. We're going to be talking about people with disability working in media, the way disability is represented in the media, and how to make media more accessible. Joining me in the studio is Rick Morton, social affairs reporter at The Australian. Evening, Rick. Hi, Lucy. How are you? I'm well, thank you. And also freelance journalist and filmmaker, Tish Pires. Hey, Lucy. How are you going? Thank you, guys. Uh, writer, blogger, and activist Al Gibbs will be on the phone, and joining us also on the phone will be Sean Burns, who's a journalism lecturer at the University of Wollongong, who blogs at the site Disability and Media Matters. To have your say on the issues that we're discussing, please get in touch via Twitter. Our handle is Fourth Estate AU. All letters, no numbers. Let's start with a very current issue: abuse of people with disability. A national conversation about disability and abuse has started in Australia, a Federal Senate inquiry into the abuse of people with disability. is revealing that it's been happening in institutions all around the country for decades. Former Federal Disability Discrimination Commissioner Graeme Innes called violence against people with disability endemic. And most recently, last Friday, the feed on SBS2 ran a story about children with disabilities suffering abuse in the classroom at public schools. Rick, you've been covering the inquiry in The Australian. Why does it take a high-profile incident or a tragedy to put disability issues in the spotlight? That's
0: that's the one thing that's really been gnawing at me since I began writing about this issue. Um, I think um, it was Dr. Sally Robinson, who I quoted in a feature I wrote, that put it best, and she was talking about people with disability who in the past were sent away or went away and that they were treated as other and they were never really visible um, to any large degree in the national conversation in Australia. So there is still this kind of latent apathy in the community about um, people with disability and <clears throat> the violence and abuse they suffer. So sometimes that you really need that one incident that cuts through with people uh, to get them to sit up and take notice, which it shouldn't be that way because this stuff happens consistently and that's what we're beginning to learn from the National Senate Inquiry. It happens consistently across the country and it's still happening now.
2: Tish, what do you think about this? Uh, well, I think that everybody should... Um accept that people with disabilities have their rights, have certain rights, and that's what I'm about um, as in my role, to go around inspiring people and to give them people confidence about having their rights. And so I tell all parents of kids with disabilities and people to just dream and, have, and be able to fulfil their potential.
0: Why why do you think it is that, um, sorry to cut in, but why do you think that people aren't covering that issue on a bigger scale? Because I get really frustrated myself as a reporter wondering why other people aren't jumping on.
2: I just think it's not a sexy topic, unfortunately. And I really think that our community is at fault in that case because it should be a really important topic to cover. I think we might have
1: Elle Gibbs on the phone right now. Are you there, Elle?
3: I certainly am, Lizzie.
1: Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Sorry about that that delay there. Hi, Elle.
4: Elle.
1: Oh, hi, we've got Sean Burns as well. (laughs) Fantastic. I'm Uh, going to hand over to you then, Elle. Why does it take a tragedy for disability issues like abuse to be part of the national consciousness? Look,
3: I think it's still that people with disabilities have been hidden away for such a long time, and I think that now that you know where it was sort of out and about and in your face, people can are going to have to start to confront some of the issues around institutions and um, the consequences of people with disability not having the same rights as everybody else. But to be frank, you know, people are still at a very basic rate, you know, of understanding of what disability is about let alone the social model of disability and that kind of stuff. They still see people with disabilities as, you know, something for inspiration or something to feel sorry for.
1: Sean, you uh, run a blog called Disability and Media Matters. What is the quality of the coverage of these issues usually? Do mainstream reporters have the skills to talk about these issues properly?
4: I think mainstream reporters and reporters in general have the skills to do what they're uh, trained to do in terms of, um, covering uh, news and current affairs accurately. The issue, from our perspective, is that the, the, the scope of disability coverage doesn't get on the radar. And when it comes to um, uh, stories like abuse, this is the, this, these are the instances where they do appear on the radar. Um, and, unfortunately, that's generally the scope of it. We see people with disability as either tragedies or victims, in this case, or heroes and we don't really see terribly much in between so it doesn't surprise me that this story uh, has uh, captured some of the headlines around the place because uh, it should capture some of the headlines but the problem is these are the only headlines they ever catch
1: the federal budget is uh, being announced this week does the way that inquiries like this are covered have the potential to influence government policy rick
0: look i think they do you've uh, kind of like the creation of the NDIS. I mean, sometimes big things happen at this uh, amazing confluence of um, events like you've got the right political capital from the right government with the right will, you've got the right amount of media attention to do it. Um, I think it's too soon to see anything in tomorrow's budget um, in relation to the prevention of abuse and violence in the community and in the disability community. But without a doubt, um, the the politicians do take notice of this stuff, particularly when it reaches a critical mass. Um, Who says what that mass is? I don't know, but um, they it hurts them when they get pelted.
1: So, would you agree with that?
4: We've well, also got this um, situation where abuse, full stop, and lives lost at the hands of abusers, full stop is dominating headlines across the country. I think this is a an opportunity for people with disability to be seen really as part of the community. And as Elvis, you know, this actually is the way for us to say, well, if people with disability are continue to be uh, continue to be placed behind doors and out of sight, then this is not to be discovered. It's only when people with disability are a part of our community, a day to day visible part of our community, that this is seen. And this is this is an important time where action needs to be taken.
1: You're listening to Fourth Estate. I'm Lucy Robson, and I'm joined by El Gibbs, Tish Peeris, Rick Morton, and Sean Burns. Over last summer, the ABC aired a selection of films from New Zealand company Attitude Pictures. This is a series that profiles people with disability in New Zealand and around the world. Reception here in Australia can be best described as mixed and we're going to find out why. <laughs> Firstly, um, Tish and Elle, well, let's start with you. Um, what did, did you enjoy anything about the series? Was there Were there positives?
2: Elle, oh, you definitely should go first. Out. All right. Um,
3: look, I think there was a couple. I mean, just that... They were actually talking about people with disabilities, full stop, uh, is always a good thing. But there were some significant flaws in the series that, you know, to be frank, um, they didn't engage with the Australian disability community a lot and the selection of programs that they put on were pretty poor. So the one that I reviewed was um, uh, Sydney's Timor with a bloke up there who's doing some amazing work with, um, you know, hygiene and, um, you know, water facilities and stuff like that, but was narrated by his white partner. Just I found really able partner, which was really offsetting. But then the episode that featured two kids with autism was particularly appalling and got a very strong reaction from the autistic community in Australia, which I think was completely justifiable. It was terrible.
2: Tis, did you feel much the same way? Well, I, I'm looking at it as a filmmaker myself. So I... Um but one of the one of the main problems I had with that series is it came from New Zealand, and there um there are actually a lot of Australian filmmakers with a disability that are um, fully capable of of making a film like that if they were nurtured, if their careers were nurtured. And actually, I'm, uh, I've made films on my own, with my own money, unbelievably. So that yeah, they're available on Vimeo to watch. But, um, oh, yeah, and also I, I like to make films not just about, the, uh, the, about disability because I, I think that you get, get boxed in. We,
1: we're definitely going to be talking about that particular point a bit later on. Um, Sean, you've done a lot of work about how people with disability are represented in the media. What was your opinion about the Attitude films?
4: Look, I, I, to be quite honest, I think it fell more into the traditional frame. So there was a whole lot of inspiration involved, and, and you know, I, I go to lengths I, I to and say, okay, we need to really have people with a disability represented in the broad spectrum of what disability is, and I'm, and I'm just not confident that's what we're
1: getting through this series or what we receive through the series Rick, did, uh, did you watch any of the Attitude films? Yeah, I caught a couple of the
0: episodes and I kind of agree with Elle and Sean on both of those points I mean, it's so easy to fall into the trap of being like ah, here is a story that you're doing because, you know you have to do it or it's a niche or it's special and it's such an offensive way of approaching something and I I, I try to remind myself all the time that uh, I'm dealing with people and that you're People have stories beyond themselves and the way they are in the community and I don't think the Attitude series really got that. It felt like it was trying to be inspirational um, and when you're trying to be inspirational, that's probably the wrong in, uh, intent um, that should come naturally from telling people's stories.
1: Mm-hmm. So what could Attitude Pictures and the ABC have done better in this regard? L <laughs>
3: involve Australians with disabilities in the production <laughs> a bit. I think, you know, but even also in the advisory. I mean, you know, we were asked as a group of of people with disability who blog, who were asked to do some reviews and you know, we all did and were pretty upfront about what was, you know, what we thought what the flaws were, but I think some more engagement would have been nice. It just sort of felt like here's a company coming in saying, hey, we're, you know, we're all into disability, but they're not listening to people with disabilities and not including people with disabilities in the production process, which is, you know, seriously problematic.
1: I guess um, people without any experience of disability might have seen the films and, and thought that they were fine. So can you go into a bit more b- detail about about what you didn't like about them, I guess? <laughs> Look, I think This goes to everyone.
3: Yeah, what Rick said about, you know, people with disabilities are people. You know, so it doesn't need to be kind of, you know, scaling a huge amount of, you know, mountains or, you know, doing something inspirational. Like, you know, I'm not a Paralympian. You know, I have breakfast. I go and (laughs) have a coffee with my friends. I'm not inspirational by doing (laughs) that.
0: Good good on you, (laughs) Al.
4: You
3: and your
0: breakfast.
1: So is, is this kind of um, a good example of, of the way disability is usually represented in the mainstream media?
4: Well, oh. I think it is. It clearly is. You know, the, it's one of those repeat messages. And I, I just think that if, if it, an understanding can be, can be uh, taken on board, that uh, disability is, is, is broad and it's part of a, a much wider fabric of society than what we see then, when we get the occasional story about someone with a disability who does do something inspirational, then we don't go uh, running for the hills. You know? <laughs> but it, it should be it should be delivered in the context of when these things happen. It shouldn't just be oh, we've got another story of someone doing doing supposedly amazing things. Let's tell that story. You know, it, it doesn't have to be told every week.
0: Do you know what I would love to see cut out of every article ever written about people with disability? So-and-so did XYZ despite <laughs> yeah. being born oh. with, despite. I'm like, well, how the hell does that work? Like, um, It's just kind of like this, this halo around um, mm. ordinary people who do ordinary things. It's bizarre, I find.
1: Uh, Tish is smiling in agreement uh, with what you just said, Rick.
2: Well, um, because I have an acquired disability, I, I really was absolutely shocked at the difference of the way that people are treated before they have a disability and when they have a disability, it's unbelievable. It's like going from the top of the food chain right down to the very bottom. It's, and You have no chance, no the opportunities to dry up. It's unbelievable the amount of discrimination people face.
0: And the condescension, I would imagine,
2: Absolutely.
4: As well. I was thinking about it on the way home tonight, you know, I was, I was, there's this term that we use for, um, in regard to our, our son and it's, it's presumed competence. I mean, I think um, that might be a case in point where you simply say you have gone from being someone who didn't have a disability to someone who does have a disability and all of a sudden that presumed competence is gone. You know, the default position for everyone, about everyone, should be presumed competence in whatever context we're talking
1: did the ABC or Attitude Pictures make any response to any of the criticisms that were made after the films were shown on TV?
3: Oh, they, they did a bit. Um, and some people, you know, privately were, you know, talking to them about it, but they didn't respond other than, gee, aren't you great all having your your, your special opinions? Excellent for you. Sorry.
1: <laughs> <laughs> do we um, Do we have any equivalent of Attitude Pictures in Australia?
3: There's Disability Media Australia, which does No Limits, which is a uh Melbourne community T V uh series. It's been going for about ten years. It's fantastic. Um so you can have a look for that online if people are interested, but there's nothing really, I don't think, in Sydney.
2: I think it's it's a, it's also a point that there is no career path if you're a filmmaker and then trying to get your stories made. You need funding or nurturing to nurture your career. Then you need the, the distribution of those films, someone to give you a break, and that's where a lot of... um, I've been on, on committees with other disabled filmmakers. That's where they go to another career choice because they can't work in this this field initially
1: tish you have uh, taken us directly to my next point for for yeah. the to state today um i'm lucy robson and we're joined by l gibbs tish Pierce, rick morton and sean burns up until last year the abc had a specialist website called ramp up which was focused on disability issues and published work from journalists and writers with disabilities its editor was stella young now, um, currently Ramp Up is still live but it's no longer featuring any new content and Stella Young sadly passed away in December. So the media landscape has lost an important place where stories about disability could be heard and also an important voice. Now that Ramp Up is no longer active, what media outlets are there that make space for the voices and experiences of people with disability? Tish? Well, I've written for
2: the drum but it's very... they. Um it's a very, very small publication, as in drums, very specialising, great great articles, brilliant writers, but it's, uh, it's not a very... It's a great, great publication, don't get me wrong, but it's not the best commercially viable option in life, because you don't get paid very much at the drum, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Elle, what outlets are there for people
1: to tell their stories?
3: Well, I'll give, I'll give you a very concrete example. This time last year, Stella commissioned me to do um, a, an analysis of the budget around disability stuff, and so I talked to all of the disability peaks and got comment from them and looked at the budget papers and all that. This year, I'm trying to I'm pitching all over the place the exact same piece, and um, but not getting a lot of bites. So it's really hard as a freelancer to get uh, disability issues. Raised in public, um, which I think is disappointing from you know the perspective of a very large, you know, public policy, the NDIS rolling out, and all of the complications and complexities of that. I think it's a it's a very disappointing that more people aren't paying attention <laughs> to, to this large you know change in public policy, and that it is it is difficult since ramp up closed to get stories up.
4: And it's, it's difficult to the degree that the. Um, media landscape, the news landscape is so uh, challenged at the moment anyway in yep. terms of um, freelancers getting uh, anything published. So, it, I mean, it is it is a real difficult space to be in, so that's where the, um, the self-publication and self-advocacy options are, are there, but they aren't the paying options, and this is where Ramp-Up was so valuable. mm
1: Rick, you were talking a bit before about how hard it is for disability-related stories to to get a a run, I guess. Uh, Is it even harder for people working with a disability to get their stories out?
0: I I think it must be, because I mean, I I must preface that by saying my editors are amazing at letting me follow disability policy the way I do, Um, but but at the same time, I don't have a disability. I have no lived experience with disability, and um, it's the same with Indigenous coverage. I mean, you should have Indigenous people, you should have people with disabilities writing about this stuff. Um, because they know how it affects them. I mean, I make sure I surround myself with a group of people, my contacts, who orient me as, like, on a compass to how I should be reporting this stuff, but I'm not, I shouldn't be the one that has to do that across the country. Um, there should be um, paid roles for journalists and freelancers to do that. And Ramp Up, I mean, I love the ABC. I'm not one to ABC bash, but it annoyed me so much when they closed Ramp Up because they are a market failure broadcaster and they should be in that space.
3: Yep. <laughs>
1: At the same time, we shouldn't assume that journalists and storytellers with experience of disability want that to be the sole focus of their work. Um,
2: Tish, I, th- I think you'd um, agree with that? Absolutely. I, I grew up in Lebanon and all over the world and my father was a diplomat and then I had this accident and I acquired uh, a brain injury. And I'm, I'm really mostly like interested in war and the, uh, the fallout from war and how it affects civilians. And that's what a lot of my focus has been on, but it's been really hard to get a, to be taken seriously because um, I have a disability, even though I'm interested mostly in Afghan refugees and the war on terror,
0: foreign policy, yeah. yeah. <laughs> post traumatic stress
2: disorder. But they're not the sort of things that they think people with disabilities are interested in.
4: No, you should just be purely focused on disability, you exactly. know that. <laughs>
1: Exactly. You're listening to Fourth Estate. My name's Lucy Robson and I'm joined by Elle Gibbs, Tish Pierce, Rick Morton and Sean Burns. This is a special edition of Fourth Estate and we're talking about disability and media. We've got a few minutes left so we'll be ta- we'll look at how accessible broadcast TV and streaming services are for vision and hearing impaired viewers. For example with captions and audio descriptions. Do TV networks have any minimum requirements regarding accessibility? I'll ask you first, Elle.
3: (laughs) Um, There's a problem. It's changed recently. So that captioning is now going to be a complaints-driven process. So instead of them having to do it, they they will only have to do it if people complain. So it's an ongoing issue that the disability peaks I know are working really hard on. Um, And then with Netflix and some of the online TV um, that have come recently, Uh, That's been a huge huge campaign in the the US to make Netflix accessible, which is helpful because it's accessible by the time it comes to us. But yeah, it's not great and it's something that is a a big fight, but Media Access Australia is is the peak organisation for this stuff and they've got some great reports on the different kinds of tech and and how to make them accessible for different disabilities.
1: Complaints driven. So... How many people are going to make enough complaints for things to happen? <laughs>
3: exactly. So, I mean, this is the thing. It's like, I mean, I've yeah, written about this a bit before. In transitioning online, some of the Disability Discrimination Act, you know, that where new buildings need a ramp and a disability, an accessible toilet and so lift, it kind of, how do online companies have to comply with the Disability Discrimination Act as well, you know, in terms of, You know, this should just be mandatory that what you do when you build a new website or a new online tool of some description, that accessibility is, you know, just something that is part of the production process, rather than something that has to be agitated for um, by people with disability after the event.
1: Okay. Platforms like Netflix and ABC's iView are adding audio descriptive content to their programs to assist their vision impaired audience. Is this a step in the right direction, um,
4: Sean? Oh, it's definitely a step in the right direction. But it, as I was saying, it's one of, it's one of those things that it's, it, it's taken such a long time to get here that you would think, why has it been such a battle? And now that it can, it can actually it should almost be an automated process. Now, new content that's been created across the board, there must be, or there at least has to be, some. automated process and this is where this is where we really need to understand inclusion at at it's at its most intricate but it it is not simply just a we're going to cater for you it is simply saying you are with us we are one and we are going to do this because this is the way it should be.
1: What other um, ways uh, is the media not accessible to everyone for instance uh, do uh, enough people with disability have the internet? for instance. Do you know anything about that, Sean?
4: Well, I think if, you, if we simply look at the figures, so one, one in five people in Australia identify as having a disability. So if one in five people identify as having a disability, it's reasonable enough um, presumption to make that one in five people um, who have the internet have a disability.
1: Rick, um, do you have any experience in this area? I, I actually don't
0: part of the problem. I don't have any experience and that's part of the problem. I I guess one thing I would point out is, uh, writing a lot about the NDIS, people assume that's the only thing that ever needs to happen in the disability space, but there's actually (laughs) this whole national disability strategy, which the government doesn't talk about very much. And it includes a lot of stuff like inclusion and the fact that there aren't ramps at half the train stations in Sydney, um, and probably half the bus stops around the country. I mean, all this stuff that you don't notice if you don't have a disability, but it is, and this is kind of part of the social model of disability, that's the stuff that creates the barriers for people with disability, not the other way around. So there's a lot of work happening uh, behind the scenes, but it's not really well-known in the public, I don't think.
3: But there's also, you know, people with disability are also being very creative with using technology to do more stuff. So using iPhones and, um, you know, head switches and eye movement trackers and those kind of technologies, they've really change the way people you know can communicate like using ipads and that now you get a you know $50 app instead of a $10,000 computer interface you know so Mm -hmm. some of that technology stuff is actually a really advantage for people with disabilities who are using it in really creative ways you know to actually be able to you know open doors and you know go outside and do all sorts of stuff.
4: Well, my, my son uses um, multiple different devices, and it's for, that very, it's for that very purpose. Some of them, you know, just five years ago, it would have cost us thousands and thousands of dollars. Now we're looking at iPads, iPhones, and any other smart device that they come with this access built in. So the problem necessarily isn't necessarily that the, um, uh, the technology isn't there. There's a bureaucracy, and I'll talk about a school bureaucracy, an education bureaucracy, that basically says um, people completing the A to C aren't allowed to use these devices. They've got a particular way that you can go about doing it, and this is the way it's always been done, and uh, that excludes so many people.
1: All right, we've got about one minute left. I'd just like to hear from everyone very quickly what they'd like to see happen in this space in disability and media.
2: I want to see everyone living up to their potential and feeling like valued members of one community. Okay. Rick, what would you like to
0: see? Uh, I would love to see far more stories about kind of the everyday experience of people with disabilities, um, not just NDI specific, not just abuse and violence and neglect. I mean, stuff that um, matters to everyone else.
4: Okay. Sean? Please tell us. I'm going going to concur with Rick and hope that my students and the students coming out of UTS are doing the same thing, that there there may be something of a a generational change somewhere along the line where disability is um, uh, included in mainstream media coverage, but also gets to the point where um, it's almost invisible. You know, wouldn't it be nice to be able to say, it is so uh, included, people with disability are so included that it's invisible.
3: And lastly, L. Yeah, I'm going to get my wonk on. I want the national <laughs> disability strategy, so I want to co a commitment to it. I want to see, you know, stop vilifying people on a disability support pension and I want the government to get serious about okay. access everywhere. All right,
1: that is all we have time for.
0: We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of 2SCR's Fourth Estate. Fourth Estate can be heard live each Monday at 6.30pm on 2SER 107.3 and at 2SER.com. Check out the program description for links to follow 2SER and Fourth Estate. You can subscribe to Walkley Talks on iTunes or follow the Walkleys on Twitter and Facebook to be the first to know about upcoming
4: Walkleys
3: news and events.